The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by Newell Fisher, with script assistance by John Ruths, and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 81, in which we will be going through section 21 of the 1978 film, the plan. One bit of barrow keeping this week, I'm beginning to plan for future special episodes between parts of the film as well as the four episodes that will follow going through the film before we begin looking at the sequel Tales from Watership Down. One of these episodes will be devoted to the role-playing game Bunnies and Burrows, so if you have, if you have anything to say about that subject now might be the time to let me know at the Watership Down podcast at outlook.com. I also plan to spend two episodes going through an Australian radio play of Watership Down that I was introduced to by Owsler member Sean Hagens. This little-known version of the story, produced in the early 80s, has many points of interest and some interesting character interpretations that are worth looking at. Anyway, let's find out what Bigwig is up to in Afrafa. Section 21. The Plan. This section covers from 62 minutes 50 to 67 minutes 10, and the equivalent chapters from the book are chapters 35, Groping, 36, Approaching Thunder, and 37, The Thunder Builds Up. As Kihar's theme transitions into a more negative tone, we find ourselves back at Ephrafa, in a broad view of rabbits at Silflay, an owl's officer perched on a dead tree branch watching over them. Heisenthlay moves away from the main group, possibly looking to escape again. Then suddenly, the new owl's officer appears from behind the tree, making her jump nervously. This is, of course, Bigwig. He says he wants to talk to her, to which she gives the very Ephraphan reply that she is in the mark and under his orders. This is the crucial structural difference between Ephrafa and other Warrens, where being under orders only applies to Owsler members. Bigwig gets straight to the point, asking her if she remembers Holly, who he knows she helped to escape. Her response is possibly a nod to the book, as John Ruth has pointed out in his notes on the film, in which she says that, this after being summoned to Bigwig's burrow, thinking he intends to mate with her, as she is not in season. But here he reveals his intentions above ground in circumstances that are far more risky and likely to be overheard. Heisenthal's alarmed reaction, which is what elicits the mistake comment here, is understandable. This could be a spy from the council trying to trick her into a confession. She looks around her in panic. This is where Bigwig's rabbit skills, well I can hardly call them people skills, can I, really come into their own. He has seconds to get through to her in highly dangerous circumstances and does so with a calm and reassuring assertiveness. He sets out why he is there as succinctly as he can, saying that he is from a warren where life is free and is there to get as many out of Ephraim as he can. He doesn't specify those, interestingly. As he says this, she still flays casually in one of those subtle moments in the film. Heisenthal explicitly states that he might be a spy sent by the council, 
Even to say this to a spy could be interpreted as a part of confession. Bigwig confidently states that she knows he isn't. His calm demeanour almost demands trust. This is reinforced by a close-up on his face. He pointedly asks if she will join him and persuade her friends as well. Then ends with the simple request, or is it a first order from her new future Warren, that she trust him. He ends with the reassurance that his friends are not far away. She pitifully says as the camera zooms in on her that her courage and spirit is lower than it used to be. As they speak, both are looking around subtly to check they are safe. More reassurance from Bigwig that escape from Ephrafer is possible, as we see a wide shot of them zooming out, framed by what I think is kale, the same vegetable a young woundwort ran through when escaping humans with his wounded mother towards, ironically, the Downs. And now our first possible hint of another side of Heisenthal, for she is a rabbit who possibly shares psychic traits with Fiverr. We see a close-up of her face. She nods and says she thinks she does believe him. Fade to black. And now we see Bigwig in a vegetable field looking up in the sky. This is his attempt to link up with Kihar, to put it in military terms. Pan right to a view of the distant railway arch as Bigwig moves in that direction and we see Kihar approach. He lands, making Bigwig duck, and Bigwig says to listen carefully. But this is not the subtle Kihar of the book, where he just lands near Bigwig and they pretend to ignore each other. This is comedy Kihar, comic relief Kihar, even though his lack of thought could endanger lives. He cries out the sound that gives him his name. Bigwig shushes him, but it is too late. Cut to a brief shot of General Woundwort looking up from Silflay. And now in the background a subtle tense musical theme is playing. Bigwig tells him the escape is ready and they leave at sunset. Kihar responds too loudly again. Shushing him again, Bigwig says there will be lots of them. They will meet him at the Iron Bridge, a phrase not used in the book where Bigwig just calls it the Big Arch in this conversation. Kihar quietly asks when they will meet. Bigwig has already said this, but repeats again in an exasperation, sunset. Kihar shouts out, good, then remembers to try to be quiet again. He really can't help himself. You could argue that his portrayal in this scene plays to British attitudes towards the unreliability of foreigners, particularly foreigners with funny accents, who are looked upon as loud, brash and unsubtle by British people with certain attitudes towards those rude enough not to be born here. You could argue that, but I won't here. After all, he's a seagull. And we all know what they're like, right? Bigwig winces from Kihar's latest shout, then says he must guide them all to the river, which Bigwig hasn't even seen yet in the film version. And now something is amusing, Kihar. The cleverness of it all is too much for him. He starts to laugh, barely able to contain himself, as he says, plenty good trick, a reference to the intended use of the punt to get away from the Ephraim pursuit. Bigwig asks what trick. Hopefully, off camera, he then actually tells Bigwig about it. This is fairly crucial information. But all we see here is him lose the plot and start laughing uncontrollably. As he does this, we get a wide shot of them both. Woundwort appears at the left side of this shot, very clearly watching them. Back to the conversation. Bigwig manages to distract Kihar from catching flies for long enough to tell him that he must drive away any patrol he sees following the escape. Kihar reassures him by flapping his wings and saying he will fly at them before shouting in excitement again. 
After a last shush, Bigwig pats Kihar on the shoulder in another very anthropomorphic moment and tells him to remember that this will happen at sunset. And he is gone. We see one of the best close-ups on Kihar's face as he nods and says Bigwig is a plenty good fella. And now the tense musical theme rises as we see a beautifully painted shot of the dead tree that marks out Ephrafa against an overcast sky. The camera pans down as the music quietens. Then a more distant shot of the tree and a zoom out and pan left past the curved dead branch on the ground we have seen before. The shot begins to zoom in on the ditch where Bigwig first met Woundwort and dissolves to an interior shot of a run in Ephrafa. In the book... Meetings such as the one we're about to see take place in the privacy of burrows, not in open runs, where sound surely echoes and carrows really well. But for cinematic purposes, presumably, this one will take place in this risky setting. As Heisenthal moves along the run, and without looking, even looking around him as he did above ground, Bigwig appears and tells her the plan is set. She asks when. He says to get as many rabbits as she can to the near hind mark at sunset, just before early sylphlay. I'm not sure what definition of early is being used here. Also, Ephrafa being the way it is, getting a group to a particular mark's burrows will basically mean members of that mark only, if it is at all like in the book, so this instruction may be redundant. At that moment, two rabbits pass. Bigwig ducks out of sight and Heisenthal lowers her profile, but they still have no line of sight on any rabbit that approaches quietly. This moment passed, Heisenthal asks what will happen if anything goes wrong to which Bigwig responds simply that nothing will, and that they can do it. As Bigwig looks more closely in the direction of the rabbits who just passed by, Heisenthal reveals more of her fiver-like tendencies by saying, almost to herself, that she thinks they can. That sometimes she can tell if something is true. She can see it. Just as she gets Bigwig's attention and mentions a high down with trees, a good description of Wardship Down, which he has never seen, she puts herself down, saying she has become foolish. But Bigwig seems to know better, saying she should meet a friend of his who talks just like that. We know he means Fiverr, a friend he owes his life to. Returning to the moment, Heisenthal says that her group will be ready. Bigwig repeats sunset as the time of the escape, adding that a bird will fight for them. He gives no more details about this important part of the plan, so why mention it at all? Surely it would be better to either let your co-conspirator know everything or else keep her in the dark in case of capture. Adding that even Woundwort won't expect that after a hair exclamation, he is gone. Heisenthal moves off with confusion on her face. Cut to outside. Bigwig runs down the line of a ditch and seems about to head off towards the distant railway arch where he plans to link up with Kihar during the escape when Woundwort appears out of nowhere and shouts his name. Immediately he asks about the white bird he saw Bigwig talking to earlier. Captain Campion is with him, looking very pleased with himself and circling Bigwig menacingly. Bigwig replies as ambiguously as he can, saying he's never been harmed by a bird but Woundwort isn't buying it, so he says he was trying to impress Woundwort. He seems to buy this flattery and just reprimands him to stay in his own mark in future, implying that Bigwig is too far away from the Warren when he was seen with Kihar. Bigwig is about to move away when Woundwort has something else to ask, about a homba or fox that Bigwig led on to some rabbits, or rather, an Ephraffan patrol. 
Bigwig says simply he didn't intend to, gambling that he wasn't seen with any of the others from Watership Down. Woundwart reprimands him for not reporting it, as it was out of the ordinary. Bigwig responds, pushing his luck now, that there was nothing out of the ordinary and running from a homba. In any case, he could have simply pointed out that he was not a member of the Afraf and Ausler at the time, but he doesn't. In a tracking shot of a stylized version of the local landscape, we see Bigwig, the general and Campion from a distance. I must comment that the shots of Woundwart and Campion side by side in this scene are about my least favourite animations in the whole film. They just seem a lot less accomplished than much of the animation cell artwork somehow. Anyway, during this wide shot that ironically takes in the landscape in which the approaching escape will take place, Woundwart reveals that the rabbits Bigwig led the Homber onto were a patrol that was tracking a group of rabbits. The group of rabbits we know Bigwig had been a part of. Has Woundwart put two and do together already? He asks if Bigwig knows anything about this group. Bigwig just says he saw some tracks. Woundwart reveals that the next day he will lead a wide patrol that will cross the Iron Road and track this group. He wants Bigwig to join them. Bigwig looks at their unfriendly faces before saying, Yes, sir, and moving off. He now knows the escape must go ahead as planned. Once Bigwig has gone, Woundwart tells Campion to follow him and not letting him out of his sight. As Campion follows Bigwig, Woundwart's expression turns even more ugly, almost a leering one of sadistic pleasure or perhaps just a grimace of hatred. The animation here seems a little ambiguous. In the background, there has been a faint sound of worsening weather. Now we hear a rumble of thunder in the distance. Tense music plays. Fade to black. Comparison with the book. It must be said that the build-up to the escape from Ephrafa is a lot more tense in the book during the chapters Groping and the first two of the three Thunder chapters. Bigwig is about to start the escape when Woundwort interrupts him and he has to completely improvise a second attempt, trying to communicate this cryptically to Kihar. He is tempted to cut his losses as Woundwort's mind seems to close in on him and it is a genuinely frightening read, made worse by the arrest of the doe nil filter. The Kihar of the book is also no fool at this point and performs his role perfectly. There is zero comic relief, no pun intended. We also get to hear more about what is happening at the river as communication breaks down. Here, the summarisation is very heavy, so a lot of the nuance is lost, but little of the sheer sense of menace from Woundwart himself. However, this bigwig, for all Kihar's idiocy, is well on track, with his initial plan coinciding nicely with the necessity. This film version of Watership Down is truly about to prove itself. Next time, the escape from Ephrafa begins. Mm-hmm.